This episode is brought to you by Gin & Co, author website design specialists. If you want a beautiful and functional website to promote your books and brand, reach out to Gin today. His work includes tailored, expertly designed, professional author websites. I finally have a website I'm proud to share. And we've got a special offer for Words and Nerds listeners. Reach out today and get a free domain name and website hosting for the first year. You can get their website essentials package, includes domain name, website hosting, backup and security, free for the first year with any website purchase. This is valued at $330 a year. Choose a website designed to bring your author brand to life. You can find more details about this special offer at ginand.co forward slash words and nerds. Welcome to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm Danny V, podcast host and children's author. I also do some work in publishing in acquisitions and publicity. As we hurdle towards 1 million plays, we'll continue to provide you with the conversational, vulnerable, honest, and fun chats with your favorite authors across all genres. Check out our takeover episodes, usually released on a Friday, and our spin-offs released during the month. Thank you for being here, being part of the journey, and supporting Aussie Creatives. Welcome to the Words and Nerds podcast, where we bring literary goodness straight to your ears. Today, I'll be talking to four finalists for the NIO Marsh Awards to recognise excellence in crime fiction, mystery and thriller writing. The awards were founded by journalist and legal editor Craig Sisterson in 2010 and are named after Dame Nio Marsh, one of the four queens of crime of the golden age of detective fiction. This year's event celebrating the finalists and announcing the winners will be held in November in Christchurch, Dame Nio's hometown, which is cool, in association with Word Christchurch. This is part two of the Nio Marsh awards interviews so today's guests are four of 16 finalists across three categories i will introduce them one by one and they're going to give us a 10 second which usually turns into 30 second elevator pitch about their books it's very hard to condense a crime or thriller into 10 seconds so we'll just pretend it's a very tall building charity norman first up best novel finalist for remember me how are you coming in from new zealand uh give us an elevator pitch about remember me Hello. All right. I'll try and keep it under 10 seconds. <laughs> you don't have um, to. <laughs> our, our protagonist, Emily, is a children's book illustrator. And um, one day she gets a phone call uh, in her home in London. And she's told that her father, Felix Kirkland, who's a GP in, the, in a small town in New Zealand, has Alzheimer's disease. So she flies home um, to look after him. She ends up staying much longer than she expects. But as his mind begins to melt um, and as he becomes a completely different person, she begins to realise that he's not who she thought he was at all and that dark secrets lie buried underneath. That was a great elevator pitch. Edge of our seat stuff, no giveaways. It's fantastic. I feel like you've done that before, Charity. Dahlia Malai-Ulu, award-winning author and Pacifica publisher, representing A New Dawn by Emily Sioni, a best non-fiction finalist. How are you? And hit us with an elevator pitch. Uh, Denny. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm very proud to be representing our lovely Emily Sione, um, who unfortunately uh, is not with us because she passed away in August. Um, yeah, bless her. She, no doubt she's around listening to this pitch, so I better get it right. Um, so A New Dawn um, is really Emily's, a recount of Emily's Dawn Raid experience 
uh, growing up here in central Auckland, uh, New Zealand. Uh, it also includes not just her recount, but also um, factual information about the Dawn Raids, uh, where she worked with uh, amazing people like the Polynesian Panthers and the Prime Minister's Office to include the official um, New Zealand Dawn Raid apology, which was given by our former Prime Minister, um, uh, Jacinda Ardern, in 2020. Yeah. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. Yeah, wow. And thank you so much for coming to represent. That's really special that you're here to be able to do that. So thank you for that. No worries. Thank you for having me. Our third guest, Bede Scott, best first novel finalist for Too Far From Our Team. How are you, Scott? You're coming in from Singapore. Hit us with an elevator pitch. Hi. Thank you very much for having me. Um, it's basically a retro thriller, uh, if, I can, if I can describe it as such. Uh, it's set in the early 1950s in, in Vietnam, um, when during the first uh, Indochina War, uh, the brother of the protagonist is found floating uh, in the classical in a classical way in, in the river, uh, and the, the protagonist travels out to Vietnam to solve the mystery of his brother's murder, essentially, and in so doing, undercover uh, uncovers various conspiracies and. It, intrigues of one kind or another. Uh, and then finally, there's the, the the truth behind his brother's murder turns out to be, uh, well, certainly um, stranger than he would have imagined, put it that way. Mm, you are also very good at elevator pitches. You've all nailed it. <laughs> I think uh, the re you had me at retro, so I loved that elevator <laughs> pitch. Thank you, Pete. And last and definitely not least, we have Simon Lindrum, finalist for Best First Novel and Best Novel for The Slow Roll. No pressure to give us the greatest elevator pitch. No, thank you. Uh, <laughs> that, that's a hard act to follow, um, three great pitches. Uh, so The Slow Roll is a detective novel uh, which follows uh, O'Malley, who earns his living playing poker in the casinos and underground games of, of Auckland. Uh, but he's also got a sideline helping people who find themselves in the margins. Uh, and we discover he's got a troubled background of his own. Uh, and when a fellow poker player ends up dead, uh, O'Malley realises uh, he's probably going to be picking up the tab unless he can solve the crime. Uh, and gently steering him uh, throughout the novel is his girlfriend, Claire, uh, who is just um, a little bit smarter than him and always keeps him one step ahead um, by dropping the odd helpful clue and keeping him out of harm's way. <laughs> I love all of that. Are you a poker player yourself, Simon, or you had to do a bit of research in that? I, I have done many years of research. <laughs> yeah, research is in playing. Yeah. <laughs> The best kind, the best kind. Uh, that's fantastic. Thank you. I think that really gives a really good, you know, insight into what you're writing and, you know, how you fit into the awards. So I want to ask you a question. I mean, I love crime fiction and thrillers, but they seem to just be this genre that transcends time and is always really, really popular and resonates with readers. So I wanted to ask you what you think it is about this genre that resonates with audiences and readers because you know we sometimes we use books as escapism and yet many of us choose to escape into these very dark worlds which I do all the time and it is very relaxing strangely uh, for me so I wanted to understand what you think about um, why it resonates with readers. Bede can I start with you? Uh, yeah I I mean I, 
for many years, I didn't read much crime fiction, I have to admit. So I came to the genre quite late and discovered this whole new world, really. And so, I mean, I, I read every Raymond Chandler novel in sequence, one after the other. Uh, the same with Eric Ambler. And Ambler is really the, uh, the the author I modeled my own novel on. In some ways, it's a kind of pastiche of an Eric Ambler. So for me, I mean, it's difficult to say why it appeals. It, it obviously does at a kind of fairly deep, uh, intuitive level. Um, I suppose, I mean, it's a kind of, it's interesting, the the fact that it is, in, to some extent, formulaic, right? There are certain requirements that have to be met, but within the that, that structure, there's so much potential variety. Um, and so it's always interesting to, to me to see how authors manage to reconcile the two or achieve a balance between that kind of repetition, the formula, and then, of course, the the more kind of original and innovative side of the, the narrative. Um, so for me, that's what's interesting, aside from, I suppose, a kind of natural human curiosity when it comes to these darker places you mentioned. Mm, yeah, thank you for that. That's really interesting. Um, particularly, I think these days with technology, I reckon just crime gets harder and harder and harder. I think my son said to me that he was doing some research about something and he said, did you know that the minute you step out your house, even if you've gone to the shop, you are surveyed by like 30 cameras and that's just going to do grocery shopping. So I thought it's a, the first thought I had was, wow, that was really hard for crime writers. Mm. <laughs> so that's funny. Um, Charity, can I throw to you about what do you think it is about this genre that resonates with readers? Well, I hear what you say first about things changing so much. Um, the, the book I'm writing at the moment is set very much in the present day. And uh, um, I, I might go retro next time. <laughs> it might be easier. Um, I think hands up. I have to put my hands up. I'm not really a crime writer. Um, Remember Me and, and other books that I've had in the Nile Marsh Woods have been more mystery or thriller, really, than crime. But I do consume crime novels. I, I grew up loving amongst other things the books of dick francis you know who wrote about horse racing his books were nothing if not formulaic anybody who's else who's hooked on them will know every year it's a bit like going to mcdonald's you know what you're getting and that was partly the the attraction with that there was an arc and you knew where it was going to go um but then it's such a um such a smorgasbord aren't they there's so much variety it's it's hard to generalize and then we've got dramas and television dramas and things that are so popular i i think you're right there's something um uh, there's something about the formula certainly with police procedurals that can be kind of relaxing in a strange <laughs> way despite it dealing with the the nastiest most vicious side of human nature and there's a sense of often of resolution of the good guys may not win but you you sort of understand where it's gone so it's in a sense, I find they ask less of me emotionally than some of the um, more sort of heavy dramas. Mm. So, no, it's interesting. That's I think I think you make the point there about justice. And so we know that, you know, when we go into a crime novel, like you said, they may not have all the wins, but there's going to be some element of justice in there usually. And sometimes that, that is comforting. So, yeah, I mm. think absolutely. Uh, Dahlia, what about you? Why do you think it resonates? 
Well, I think, um, well, I'm speaking as a fan because um, I'm also not a writer of um, crime or thriller and just here representing Emily in the non-fiction uh, section of the awards. Um, but I kind of fell in love with um, that side of things through um, Vanda Simon. Mm -hmm. So um, I was introduced to her book. Jeez, how long ago now? Um, and I just like, I think I agree with everything that has been said, the formulaic aspects, um, as well as there being um, those connections to kind of that human nature of justice, of curiosity, of, um, you know, those um, clues that are left behind. And I just, I just, I'm a huge fan of just the twists and turns. I think um, writers of crime and thriller, you guys are pretty amazing <laughs> in how you can um, lay out a story in a way that another person can follow, but it is obviously has taken more than just words and pen and paper, but just the the thinking behind all those twists and turns and coming to an end point where um, you kind of have those aha moments along the way. Like that is, I just think there's so much work and energy and time that goes into those. I really appreciate it when I read it and know the um yeah, know the work that kind of has gone behind it. So those, yeah. those that's probably what speaks to me as a fan. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great. And I think it is about bringing that puzzle together, isn't it? Mm. And yeah. And as a, as a reader, Dalla, I'm interested because I love it when I sort of guess, you know, guess who, who done it or why they done it. Um, at around sort of 70 to 80% of the book. Like if I guess earlier, I'm a bit disappointed. If I haven't guessed, I'm a bit disappointed because I read so much crime. So the sweet spot for me is about 75% of the novel. If I guess that I'm really excited, is it? work same with you or a bit different yeah like I think when I start read I'm really bad because I start guessing from the first page yeah, and I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is the character I'm going to follow and then oh there goes the father here we go so I'm just going to get suspicious why did they leave a letter like I, I'm constantly suspicious I'm really of everybody bad. I'm suspicious <laughs> of every single character it could be any of you <laughs> um, so um but but obviously it gets quite tense when you're reading like that so um I yeah, I definitely agree that whole 75, 25, because mm. it just, just keeps you going. It mm. keeps you wanting more and it keeps you thinking as well. Um, and then to kind of weave in like even those beautiful moments that you wouldn't expect um, just with different themes that get put in besides just straight thriller and straight crime is just, I think it's genius. I think it's pretty, it's pretty magic. Mm, I think yeah. so too. And I think crime just ref reflects society, but it has so much in it now. Like you've got great characters, you've got twists, you've got mystery, you've got all these things that I think, you know, how can it not draw you in? Simon, what about you? What do you think resonates with audiences? Um, well, I mean, un unlike Pete, I, I am sort of unashamedly 90% uh, of, what, of what I read is is crime and, and always has been. Um, and... I, I think what makes crime so enjoyable is it's got to have strong plot and it's got to have strong characters. And, you know, ultimately people who are up against it, who are facing, you know, unusual adversity or uh, living, living uh, you know, in the criminal um, fraternity are by definition sort of higher octane uh higher adrenaline um characters and so uh, i i just think they're um they're more interesting uh 
that's from a reader's perspective. And I, I hesitate to say from a writer's perspective because I've I've written one book. Uh, <laughs> but but you know what I found my method anyway was the beauty of crime is I could create enormous uh problems for my protagonist at the beginning of the book and then fix, spend the rest of the book figuring out how to get them out of it um, because I didn't have a plan for it. I didn't know what, what, what was going to happen. <laughs> so um, it, it's it's quite a um, it's quite a nice genre to write in because you can just create chaos and then uh, try and neatly get out of it by the time you, you finish the book. <laughs> I love that. I love that a lot. And I think extending on that I would like to know about writing process and we've talked about the twists and turns and we've talked about the surprise and you know the maybe the red herring and you know the the 75 percent you know trying to get your audience to sort of maybe guess at that point it's all a, a giant complicated puzzle to put together so in talking about this specific book I'll start with you this time charity what was the main challenge in putting all of that together for your book remember me it was a pace. So I'm, I'm not a pantser. I'm <laughs> definitely a plotter, at least I, I, apart from my very first book, which grew sort of organically and went down all kinds of blind alleys. And then you have to rewrite it. And it took me years. Um, but I don't start writing until I have a complete synopsis, quite detailed. Mm-hmm. I don't know what every scene's going to be, but I do have a really a really complete story arc. I know where it's going. Um, the ending may change, but but basically I, I know what the different layers are. And it's as I write that the characterization sort of takes shape. So the challenge with Remember Me was uh, because the reveal um, is right at the end, um, three quarters of the way through, you think you know, and you certainly realize that, that something really, really dark has happened. But you don't know what it is until probably 90% of the way through. And um, it, it's quite a reflective story set under the Ruahine Ranges. It's very be- sort of beautiful, mystical backdrop. So the the challenge was the pace. The challenge was to, for Greek readers who come in thinking it's a mystery, and it is, and they want some pace. So um, for me, that was it keeping it moving, keeping yeah. it moving. Yeah, and pace is everything, isn't it? Did you pace find, I hear the saggy middle is this problem all the time. Did you find that an issue for you as well? Always. Always. <laughs> <laughs> Got a killer beginning, about... amazing ending. What do I do in between? <laughs> this is like doughy mass in the middle. It's like a massive wedding dress and you're sort of lost inside it. <laughs> love, I've never <laughs> heard of that analogy. And it, I don't know if everybody else feels the same, but I get to 50,000 words and I always have a crisis of confidence. This is absolute bilge. This is garbage. Everybody's going to discover how awful it is. And and, and I, I sort of mope around looking really miserable. And the children say, Mum, you said that last time. <laughs> it's funny because I was speaking to authors before doing NaNoWriMo where you write 50,000 words in, in the month of November. And 50,000 words apparently is the danger zone because you can get there pretty well and you're like, yeah, I know what I'm, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. And you get to 50,000 words and like, I don't know what to do anymore. So it's like you either push through or you chuck it away, but it's a lot of words to chuck away. So it's funny that you say that the 50,000 word is sort of breaks you as well. It <laughs> must be, must be something darkest, about that. It's the darkest hour. <laughs> I love that. Well, I do want to know what gets you to push through. Uh, I go for a walk. Okay. I like that. Uh, a lot of Rest walks. the brain. 
rest brain yeah i find the motion and okay. put the brain into neutral yeah um, i can normally push through and i normally have to because i always have a massive essay crisis i've always left it to the last minute i've always got a deadline so <laughs> sort of slightly panicky walk yeah that, that, that must be how your brain works though i find my my best ideas come in the shower which is very difficult because you don't have a pen and paper and if you do it's not going to work anyway <laughs> I need to find some sort of waterproof something in the shower. Someone invent that if you're listening. <laughs> so, I mean, let me um, hear about your challenges or your danger zone, what you had to really push through to get, well, get the well, book done. I, I, so is the technical term a pantser? Um, yeah. <laughs> well, technical. Um, <laughs> it's rather colloquial, I think. <laughs> yeah, well, I, when, when, I, when I started writing um, The Slow Roll, all I had was a title. Uh, because it's uh, it's a sort it's a great of great title. It, it's a um, move in poker and it's bad etiquette and it felt quite metaphorical for a, for a crime novel. But uh, I had a title and I had the name of a character and that and that was it. Um, wow. So, and then I did a bit of research and went, okay, eighty thousand words feels about uh, right for the length. So I had a sort of length in mind and then I just edged my way forward um, and. Therefore, characters emerged because I needed something to happen and I needed a character to emerge to enable it to happen. And I just saw, I just kind of found my way and discovered where it went. And then I had a, a sort of moment, I'd written about 35 chapters. Uh, I don't know what that was in words, uh, but it was probably about 50,000 words. <laughs> Here we go, 50,000 um, a theme. And I suddenly thought, Oh no! I need this to be in the present tense. So I, so I had to then go back Ouch. and rewrite the entire <laughs> fifty thousand words. And uh, then the publisher said, "No, it has to be in third person." The word wasn't a publisher <laughs> anywhere near the scene at this point. Um, but that's that's the luck that we'd have. <laughs> so, but it was really useful actually because um, it it, ena it enabled me to do a far more thorough edit because my attention span. Once, frankly, once I've written the end once, I, I, I'm. I'm in trouble because I don't <laughs> really want to have to rewrite it um, three times. But uh, but it gave me a reason to go back and give it a second run um, and really focus on it because I was changing tense in every sentence and and um, and that just gave me the push I needed. So maybe that was the thing that got me over the hump of fifty thousand. Was uh, had I stuck in the in the past tense, I, I, mm -hmm. I don't, I'd have made it. Yep. But actually, it gave me far more uh, pace to to mm -hmm. use charities uh, termed um, to really accelerate towards the end. Um, mm. So that was the moment for me. And 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 the only other experience. I mean, I've just written the third draft of the of the sequel to um, uh, to the book, and I've done it the same way because in between writing the slow roll and trying to uh, find a a home for it and a publisher i thought oh well this you know writing a book set in uh, in auckland was um was a mistake because i'm i'm not going to get picked up by anyone so i wrote another book and i i went back in my head back home to newcastle uh in the uk and, and wrote a book there and i followed the now that i knew the rules of the game and synopsis uh, synopses and, and all of these things i started with the synopsis and i thought i had a very uh tight um full synopsis of the book and i wrote that book and it's got a very saggy middle and it's sitting in a drawer because i haven't um you know been able to bear going back to it 
and it's got a cracking start and a cracking end. But it's, <laughs> That's it, what we're talking about. Because, yeah. because I could, it, because even though I had everything mapped out, what I didn't have was all of those evolutions mm-hmm. going through, which which so far I've only been able to f- find by not having any preconceptions of where I'm going to go. Mm, I love that. I love how you started with a title and a character and you just went. <laughs> That's fabulous. Well, I had quite a few cracks at the page one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I imagine. <laughs> but I also like the idea of if you know when something's not quite right, I think, with your writing, and we can convince ourselves it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, but you you called it out and you went back and rewrote it. So I think that's really important about just following that gut because it's right. Like, it's always right. <laughs> Bede, what about you? Challenges? Um, I mean, I I was very naive when I when I came into this because I just imagined that it would be, you know, it wouldn't be that hard, right? <laughs> How hard um, can it be? <laughs> yeah, that, that was, I mean, it seems like there are a lot of novels around. Everyone's writing novels. I can, I can do that. <laughs> um, so there was a kind of hubris there to begin with. And as, as you'd expect, I very quickly learned that it's, it's, it's more difficult than it looks so it, it was a kind of salutary experience for me because it gave me a, a kind of new respect for writers of all kinds. Um, so for me, it was the the challenge was, I suppose, I mean, it's all about plotting, as Dahlia said, and that's part of what the kind of pleasure we derive from these these novels, the intricacy of the plotting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so for me, that was difficult, I suppose, to 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 construct a plot that would hang together uh, in an interesting way. Suspense was another problem, another challenge, how to get, how to kind of encourage people to keep turning the pages. Uh, and even the mechanics of the, the action, how to get char- a character from A to B, how to get a character into a room and out of a room. <laughs> uh, the kind of thing you wouldn't expect, right? The kind of thing you take for granted when you're reading. Um, so as I say, it was for me a very kind of salutary experience in that I now understand how difficult it is to write one of these things. Um, and it's quite a talent, I think, for the people who are able to generate that kind of suspense. Yeah. Uh, so that all of that was, was for me quite, quite, quite difficult. Yeah. Mm. I love how you say just getting people into and out of a room, because I actually find that quite challenging too. And it's a really, you think it's a really small part of the writing and you know, your, your, your first readers will be like, yes, that's great. But where are they? Mm. <laughs> so I think that's really, cause it's seamless when you read it in a novel and when you're writing it, yeah. it's quite different. That's so right. It's, it's, it's the kind of thing that's invisible when you're reading. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, I was also, I, I, I thought that I could dash something off in the manner of George Simenon who used to write his novels in 10 days oh love like that this. Uh, and I had the idea that maybe you know in my case maybe a month or two but of course again, was like, it turned... I'm gonna do it in eight yeah yeah <laughs> but of course it turned out to take much much longer than that oh, 10 days I wonder if that's even true is that true do you think it's true I think it is I think it produced so many they're, they're kind of that's thin incredible. Yeah, I, I, I remember hearing Stephen Fry wrote his first novel in a, in a, in about ten, ten or eleven days as well. Wow, um, it's taken me longer to write a picture book. <laughs> <laughs> so it's yeah, it's I think not not easy certainly. Mm, yeah, right. that's it's a good call out. Now, Dahlia, a bit different for you because you're not actually the writer of the book. What's the complexities in the book A New Dawn? 
Yeah, I think um, because it is, it's actually a Pacific children's book, mm-hmm. A New Dawn. So I think juggling all the different elements uh, that are in the book, I know um, for Emily, like the authenticity of her actual story and her recount and mm-hmm. the care for her story. Obviously, it's her life, it's her family's experience, um, her grandparents uh, subject to the dawn raids in her story. And um, so there was a lot of kind of um, communication and what we call in Samoan Salanoa conversations, um, quite healing conversations that really needed to happen before the, we even approached like the actual writing um, but when it was first presented as a draft um, we actually reworked it quite a lot because we figured that there's actually sometimes less is sometimes is, is more um, and what you'll find in her recount is that we slowed it right down so I know exactly what you're talking about charity with pace um, and because uh, Emily's recount is accompanied with um, pictures the pictures themselves are, are quite strong. So they actually spoke um, even, they spoke to the words um, mm-hmm. and that, that accompanied them. So then it was kind of having that element, then there was levels to the book. So then the different sections really supported that and you can kind of see how the story um, itself is almost supported um, by these different sections and provides that kind of complete experience of this era, um, of this horrible and terrible traumatic era of um, that was the Dawn Raids, um, is, that was part of New Zealand history. Um, and that was kind of the goal of the book, um, was first heart, the story had to touch hearts and it had to have heart and be cared for with, with a lot of alofa, a lot of heart, um, but also just to provide that experience, kind of like a one-stop shop of this era. Um, so that's what we've we've been receiving since um since its release so it's been um really well received which is really cool yeah that's great thank you for that now i this is going to be a tough question right because i know many writers and all of them are just full of self-doubt um about their writing (laughs) but you know your books are finalists in the nio marsh awards so i want you to tell me what is it do you think made your book stand out what's the magic in your book I know it's hard because we're all writers love to be humble, but what's the magic? I'm going to, I'm going to go with Dahlia first because you are representing and the rest of you can have a think because I just saw your horrified faces. So you'll have a bit more time to think about. Don't be, it's not, it's not a question to be humble in. Just take a minute and, you know, be proud of, of your work. What's the magic in, in, in the book, Dahlia? Yeah, well, um, A New Dawn is really a first of its kind. So this isn't the only awards that it's actually been recognised. It was also recognised in the New Zealand Children, Young Adults and Book Awards. So, um, uh, yeah, just the the fact that it's one of a kind, it's it's something that has never been done before. It's been produced by an all-Pacifica team, um, which is amazing and Mm. is groundbreaking for the publishing uh, industry here in New Zealand and even abroad. Um, so, and just that combined with providing that one-stop shop full experience, it really just speaks to um, our experiences uh, as Pacifica here in New Zealand. So it's not just Emily's story. We actually, mm. a lot of people have resonated um, with it and it has encouraged and highlighted the need for more stories and more conversations in Talanoa um, around uh, quite traumatic or dark times in our history. So that's probably what I'd say is the magic. Yeah, yeah, of a new yeah. 
love it thank you simon what's the magic in your book the really slow roll go next <laughs> um, i th i think what uh su surprised me was uh the reaction um and in feedback i've had around the dynamic between the two central characters so amalie and claire and you know the the traditional um detective duo uh you know sort of private eye always has a sidekick and usually that sidekick is uh the the muscle um to you know get the private eye out of um uh, sticky situations physically and also to sort of uh step across moral boundaries that the um the the detective can't step over themselves uh claire's not any of those things she's just a smart woman who spots that he's in trouble quite a lot and <laughs> points him in the right direction and i think there's there's just a um a great dynamic between uh the two of them and it's uh you know it's a relationship of um well, well for him actually at best equals um he, he's he's probably um doing well for himself and uh i i think that that at the heart of it is is probably the um the the secret sauce to it oh i love it secret sauce magic intelligent woman how do you go wrong with that <laughs> Bede, what about you give me some magic i mean i think the the I, I suppose the historical context, rather than any virtue of mine, I think <laughs> it's it's an interesting time. Uh, the early 50s in, in Saigon, as it was known, um, it was one of those places like Shanghai in the 1930s, like Cairo in the 1940s, a place that was full of, full of spies and gangsters and, and uh, operatives of one kind or another. So it was... Uh, I suppose the, the the context itself is very interesting for me. Uh, the the complexity of Saigon at the time, um, and I guess the, the the fact that it I'm kind of deliberately working within a, a, a tradition. Um, so I'm, I'm I'm writing in the in the style of someone like Eric Ambler, his, his thrillers from the the 1930s. Um, I was trying to work within the tradition of, of Graham Greene's entertainments as well, his less, less serious novels. Um, so I suppose, again, it, it's the, the kind of generic context in that case as well that, that I think helps, certainly. Mm, thank you for that. Uh, mm. Charity, where's the magic? Well... I'm told by others. <laughs> oh, we're all so <laughs> humble. It's not me. It's the history of told by others. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that it, it's uh, it comes from partly the set, and for me, the magic was in the setting mm -hmm. as I wrote it in the Ruahine Ranges, these sort of mountains that are just just out here where I live, and some of you will know it. Um, and it, the, the, the story is centered around the disappearance of a scientist, a young scientist, a woman 25 years ago, and she walks into the Ohines and is never seen again. So there's the bush, the New Zealand bush, and the dripping forest, the ferns and the streams and, and the sort of utter wilderness of it um, seems to resonate 
with with a lot of people it resonated with me because I've complicated reasons was living in Wellington when I wrote it <laughs> during lockdown <laughs> so oh I was looking out of my window at the beehive and you know dreaming of the ranges um and the um the characterization of Felix Kirby in particular the the GP and he's quite he's quite complex there's a lot to him uh, and the um the the way in which I wrote about Alzheimer's I got a lot of experience of Alzheimer's a lot of it in the family so I felt quite confident in in um, being able to handle that sensitively and finally the um the, the resolution of it most people don't see it coming um if they do it doesn't matter but people seem to find that a bit of a tearjerker mm, very I love how all the magic is very different in each of the books so that was that was really nice to hear all those different magic. So sorry if I put you out of your comfort zone, but you know, <laughs> I think it's well, important. Nobody's ever Celebrate. asked any of us that before. I'm sure. <laughs> no, I saw your faces and I love them all. <laughs> they hate me now. <laughs> now the final question I ask all my guests, and I just want you to just don't think too hard because this this sort of question, this answer needs just that real emotional rather than brain thought. So I'll start with. Dahlia, you are a writer, even though you weren't the writer of this particular book. Why do you write? Uh, well, I started writing really out of necessity um, for our Pacific children um, here in New Zealand and, and abroad. Uh, so for me, it really started with my own children um, as a Samoan mother um, and as an educator for my students um, and just kind of showing our people who have been largely invisible in the mm -hmm. book world um, as writers, storytellers, um, publishers, and in, in those spaces um, that uh, who we are and what we are is enough. And we've always been storytellers. Um, and that um, the power of our stories really can help us to feel seen, heard, and valued, as well as to connect Talanoa and, and heal um, from being invisible or this invisible um, kind of cloak that we've had in certain spaces um, but that we are here we are here and we have stories to tell and that there are power there's a lot of power behind the stories so mm. that kind of really started my journey as a writer and as a publisher wow yeah. beautiful and very important response uh Bede, why do you write that's a difficult question. I, I think in this, I know. <laughs> in, in this case, it was really an, a kind of an extension of reading for me somehow. In that I'd, 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 I'd gone through this very heavy phase where I was reading all of this, these thrillers from the, the 1930s. And I ultimately just, I felt once I came to the end of that, I, I, I should just write one of my own. Um, so it, it, for me, it, to some extent, it was a kind of tribute. It was a, an extension of that 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 process of reading. Um, I also, uh, on a kind of daily basis, I, I don't enjoy writing so much, but I, I do enjoy having written. No one and enjoys writing, Bean. Yeah, <laughs> it's not a, a, a kind of an activity I associate with pleasure at all. Uh, exercise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but then, you know, to sit down and to read what you've written and occasionally it can be quite gratifying. So that's that's what keeps me writing. Mm, love that answer. Simon, why do you write? 
Yeah, it's 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 immense delayed gratification, isn't it? <laughs> Which isn't uh, really how our society works right now, the, right? The joy, the joy is only at the end. Um, <laughs> no, I, uh, I mean, strangely, I, I I do enjoy it. It's um, it scratches an itch. It uh, is a way of exercising my brain. Uh, now, you know, I'm a weekend writer um now um because i've i've got got a job that um keeps me busy monday to friday so actually gives me something to look forward to on saturday morning and and you know gives me a sort of focus um but uh just for the joy of it really not for uh, uh and that said that the sort of the difference with a first book is can i do it you know just that that it, it is that sort of sense of uh i suspect it's quite hard um <laughs> let's, let's find out how hard it is um and and then the joy of just putting something out into the world and having it there and um uh you know hopefully sitting on my kids bookshelves unread mm. uh, <laughs> for many years to come <laughs> i love that you can always count on your kids to be your absolute worst fans <laughs> charity why do you write um I read a writer, a famous writer who will remain un, unnamed, who <clears throat> who said in their foreword, even if I were marooned on a desert island and nobody was ever going to read my books, I would still write. Mm -hmm. And I think they're lying. <laughs> or at least, or at least if, if they're not, then, then I'm far more narcissistic than that. Because I cannot imagine going through this horror, <laughs> this sort of day after day grind, uh, for if nobody was ever going to read a word of it. For me, the point is the communication with real people, with readers, with people that are going to pick it up and make it their own. It's storytelling, as you said. It's, um, and I wasn't always a writer. I was a barrister, so I suppose that was also storytelling. Um, <laughs> but, but, but I had things I wanted to say and stories I wanted to tell. And that's why I'm still doing it. Mm, I like and that. Charity, sorry, can I ask a quick charity? And, and aren't you, um, isn't your book uh, part of a national um, library uh, activity is. at the moment? It is. Oh, it's, that's, um, that's very um, observant. <laughs> it is, yes, it is. At the moment, it's together. It's the um, New Zealand National Book Club choice for this year. Together we read. So for yeah. um, until... Uh, for for the past two weeks until tomorrow night, it's been available at all libraries. They're trying to get everybody to read it at once, which is great. Amazing. That's great. Wow. Yeah, that nice. is amazing. Yes. I love that. Well, you don't have to worry about your book not getting read because it's about to be read all at once by many, many people. So... <laughs> <laughs> well thank you so much for sharing your stories and bragging about the magic of your book even though i had to drag that bit out of you and congratulations uh, for being finalists for the nio marsh awards so it was lovely chatting with you and getting to know a little bit more about your processes and your books bead simon charity dahlia and of course emily thank you so much um, for coming on and sharing your stories <laughs>